Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats number 70. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Cool Stuff Inc. and GatheringMagic.com, who have generously provided us with gift certificates to give away each week on the cast. If you want to win a gift certificate, stay tuned, and we'll help you hopefully get some free money. With a 25% buy list bonus and free shipping on orders over $100, Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with a much-revived Ed Wynn. Uh, he actually may even have a smile this week. We will find out later on the cast why that might be. And I'm also rejoined, of course, by noted co-host Travis Allen, Mr. MTG Price, Mr. MTG Fast Finance, and, of course, Mr. Doesn't Know Minneapolis Isn't in Missouri. We've got a lot to talk about this week, so we might as well doesn't just... Know uh, or doesn't care. <laughs> we might just uh, get into these things. And I wanted to start off with something that I feel needs to be discussed after what's sort of been percolating through um, the interwebs lately when it comes to pre-orders. Uh, there's a lot of stuff coming out in these next three weeks. Uh, for listeners, just to give a recap, these are all the things that have come out this month or will be coming out by the end of 2017, we have Commander 2017, we have Ixalan, we have Iconic Masters, we have a gift box slash holiday box, we have Merfolk versus Goblins, Explorers of Ixalan, the board game, From the Vault Transform, and of course, Unstable. Now with all these products coming out, even players' wallets might start to feel a little bit unstable. Do you guys want to talk about the deluge of products was you're just throwing at us at this point and what this means for customers and card prices in the future. And apparently, because you're not first, on this there, buddy. Week. Yeah, Jim is not on, so it's all Ed this week, man. Ah, uh, God. Why do I always have to answer everything? Um, so, like, in the past, the like, the biggest problem for stores and, like, in theory, like, it kind of on the smaller scale affects the customer as well it's just like with a lot of card shops like one of the biggest problems is cash flow and i imagine like a lot of smaller stores it's like how much can you really like how much can you really order all at once right because like if i'm ordering like you know like right now like commander 17 that was a little while ago um we and we ordered the second wave because there's just it, like you just can't keep that product in stock because there's just so much appeal for it that like everyone loves tribal as it turns out, right? And then Ixlon is coming out very soon. We have a massive order for that. Iconic Masters is two is like two months after that. In theory, like in order to recuperate the cost of your product and then be able to turn a profit on top, in order to roll towards the like whatever next product you're trying to do, it's very, very hard, especially if you're not a store that can offset it just like due to sheer size. Like I think for Exxon, we're opening, I, I, I can't remember how much product we're opening, but we're literally going to spend like all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, probably something like 400 total man hours, like just opening product. And unless you have the ability, like with a large store to kind of offset your costs by being able to sell, you know, like your like very expensive, like mythics or whatnot, all the way down to like, you know the like the pennies on commons that you need to recuperate right your average store just doesn't have that kind of manpower they don't they can't afford to spend that much on labor like at some point right like it's gonna be like you know uh we probably can't take our full allotment of iconic masters we have to trim down i imagine that that's a very reasonable conversation that a lot of smaller stores have and it's, it comes down to a matter of like picking and choosing like 
do we really need like a gift box and Merfolk vs. Goblins? They kind of fill the same role of being kind of a self-contained like starting point for a lot of players, right? Like, do we really need to have both of these on our shelves? Um, like Explorers of Ixlon, like the Planeswalkers, like a, plane, a Planeswalker board game now. Like, how many of these like supplemental products? Like, do people need? Like, will people really buy? Because your average Magic player, like their budget, they can only spend so much money. And for like around here, like some of their players, like they definitely spend a fair amount of money on their commander deck and trying to buff up their commander deck. Are they gonna have money for Exxon? Are they gonna have money for Iconic Masters after that? Probably not. So, um, I'm not a fan mainly because it's at at one point it does like even for even like Kerwin's like we're a pretty big store. I imagine will will be a point where it's like at some like something we're going to have to sacrifice something. Like we're just not gonna like take the like our full normal allotment of everything. If it were to be normally like spaced out a little bit more reasonably, as opposed to everything just kind of kind of coming down in quarter four of the year. Um, so just to make sure that I understood the question correctly, it's basically what is the impact of all of this product on players and stores? Right? Was that it? Correct. Is this something that's a boon to players, or is it more of a toxic deluge of product? Mm, well, I don't care for all of this all at once, especially because it tends to concentrate the excitement. Um, you know, so we're going to have essentially spoilers and product releases for like almost every other week. And then we'll probably have a long dry spell, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and you're also dumping this in a time when people tend to be very busy with a return to school and Thanksgiving and Christmas as well. So it's just a lot to digest and you have and like late spring that are completely dead for the most part. Um, at least they've felt that way in the past. Uh, but maybe the marketing shows that it's worth it to just dump all the product now. I guess the biggest impact for myself is that this is really going to lead to product becoming under available. Um, essentially not, you know, players only have so much to spread around and not everything's going to get cracked as much as maybe it needs to be. So sleeper standard cards could explode or some of the ancillary product cards could um, not dip quite as low as you might want them to, but then explode when it turns out there's still a lot of demand out there for them and people didn't get through enough packaging. So ultimately, probably, I mean, I guess giving more magic cards to people isn't bad. I guess from my perspective financially, it's neither good nor bad. I just have to know what to keep an eye out for. Uh, with so much out there, um, definitely there's going to be valuable stuff that's going to get missed at first that you're going to be able to capitalize on later. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, Travis. And um, I think this brings it back to where how can our listeners and us make money? And Ed had a really good point where Ixalan is sort of like Battle for Zendikar 2.0. It's got a lot of the explorer themes and pirates and, you know, dinosaurs and all that. A lot of people might even say that this set is Dino Might. Um, so it's got that original Zendikar feel towards it. Now, what that means is with all these players not having enough money to pick up all these standard boxes or all these iconic Masters cards, we could see a real increase in card prices going into 2018 during spring um, when modern season hits or something like that. Ed, do you sort of want to expand on which sets you see going up faster than normal for this? Um. That's kind of an interesting question, right? Like, like kind of the big question mark is like, like, what is a print run on Iconic Masters? That's kind. Of, I, I think that's kind of like what's on everyone's mind. 
we've we've seen it with uh with like the past master sets like modern masters 3 turtle masters like it like this is nothing new right in the past it's always been kind of like a big question mark but if iconic masters kind of follows previous trends i imagine it'll be one of those things where pre-orders pretty well once stores kind of get past the Ixalan, they start like putting out pre-orders for iconic masters but i imagine it'll drop pretty fast once people like just are on the normal like busting boxes for the singles they need and try to just flip them over um I, I imagine like that's kind of the trend i think like off the bat iconic masters will usually like be well received i think the biggest appeal of uh, iconic masters compared to some of the other sets like eternal master eternal masters is probably the like closest comparison mainly because modern master sets seem to be more focused on putting uh, modern staples in the hand of players whereas iconic masters like the like the big draws like you know the praetors are mythics again right instead of having like you know the crappy kamigawa dragons right like like all the all the praetors are very very popular in capsule formats in the edh like you can probably sell like a thousand born clicks if you had if you put them on your like on if you put them onto our tissue player online store um and i think things like that there's a there's a lot of like driving force for iconic masters to do well uh mainly because just those cards are just so ubiquitous whereas like for mar masters it kind of felt like like towards maybe like the end of april like once price prices had kind of gone back up and most people had kind of bought in and already gone the staples they need people were probably like eh i don't really feel like buying more mar masters mainly because you can only pull so many lottery tickets and most people probably already started to pull like you know the blood moons they needed the fetches they needed like the goblin guides etc so I, I, I'm really intrigued to see how Iconic Masters play out. I think it's going to be kind of in a similar vein to each Eternal Masters. Eternal Masters had, like, obviously there was, like, the Mana Crypt, the Jace. But it still had the casual cards that are pretty well received, like, in Line Tutor, Vampiric Tutor. Like, those cards just, like, are evergreen casual cards. Um, and Iconic Masters, I think, kind of falls in that same boat. So, um, it's just a matter of supply. Like, that's kind of, like, what I'm really looking forward i imagine it'll be something along the same lines of eternal masters mar masters three ish so people talk to other people at hascon and apparently there's going to be one giant print run though just like eternal masters they could change that at any time and say oh here's another print run because speculators are hoarding all the boxes or whatever or we just want more money yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's just, like, well enough received. Like, it comes out late November, so if there was a run, it might not be until early next year. But, it like, it is very possible, right? Like, I think that's, like, one of the things where sitting on sealed boxes is kind of a trap. You probably just, if you get in on boxes early and for cheap, you probably just want to start busting them, turning over cards, and then eventually let, let the initial dip happen before prices start to rise again. And you kind of catch it at the initial dip. Like, that's probably where you're going to uh, turn the most profit. That's a good point, Ed, and that's why people pay um, you the big bucks. I, I don't... Sorry, were you talking? Was I lagging there? Uh, you were, but go ahead. Uh, okay, I was just going to say, I don't think... Um, oh, shoot, now I lost my train of thought. As for Iconic Masters, it, that one doesn't really seem all that interesting to me at this point. It's, uh, you know, it's got some reprints, which are cool and people are going to like, and it's going to pull those prices down. But other than that, there's nothing novel about the set. I feel like, I mean, you get monitoring, but other than that, they're just, it's just another master set. Not that exciting. So I think that prices are going to drop on that kind of quietly. 
And then that's going to be a really good set to make money on um, for some of the more pace. I mean, this a product like this is amazing for Jeremy because he just gets to buy austere commands at a dollar and then sell them for seven again in like six months. It's a little trickier for those of us without cases that can't have ridiculous markup. Uh, but uh, <laughs> there's still a lot of opportunities out there for stuff like that. Um, so, you know, if we're looking at the the array of product that are going to kind of be out there on the shelves at this point, Eternal Masters, Iconic Masters is definitely one of the ones that seem like it could be a sleeper with some of those reprints because prices are going to drop and then climb. And the other thing that we've seen in the past before Ed takes over is shops will order as much as they can get and then sell some of the boxes barely above what they paid to keep distributors happy. Or like they might not have a good enough market locally, but they're selling boxes online for like after fees, like 10 to $20 a box more than what they paid for it. We're starting to see that a lot more. And that is also something to keep an eye out for, again, just like Eternal Masters. I do think like the novelty on the set, like Travis said, it's it's a little bit lacking. Like, yeah, Mandrain received like sweet new art. Um, but it's like, I kind of feel like you know, it would have been uh, like an opportune time for like the Praetors to receive new art, mainly because they're so well loved uh, in in the EDH in casual formats. And like, if they had got a do over, I think that would have kind of helped propped up the value on them. Um, like some of the like cooler things we see, like channel. Uh, I guess like the channel isn't even new art because it was the was it from the vault art or something that's already been done. I kind of thought there would be like more cards like along the lines of Eternal Masters where it's like either new art or first time foil, um, like more novelty items. I think like Windfall was kind of the most exciting one. Uh, other than that, like other than obviously like the reprints themselves, um, like nothing like too crazy that would kind of, the nothing crazy along lines like Eternal Masters as it were. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good uh, good uh, thoughts there, Ed. Now, of course, there's other things that we're talking about where Wizards is trying to grab as much of your money as possible, and that moves us on to the topic of unstable. The new lands were unveiled. Ed, as someone who's the old sea salt on this cast and knows all the prices from years past, what do you think the trajectory of these lands is going to be, especially with so many full art reprints and other sets lately? I've. I think just having gone through so many iterations of now of them now, I think it's starting to like slowly put a damper on how exciting these can be. Like, like every time we see this now, it's like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. I have to have this. Right. But like, you know, like that's kind of, that's more or less the same thing. Like we heard like, you know, Oh, like our devastation is super sweet. Like they have the illusion to like the Amaket lands are just now destroyed. Like the temples are falling over. There's like the river blood, et cetera. Right before that, it was like, like oh, like it's a a revisit to Battle for Zendikar, right? Like the whole, like all the lands are full art. Um, and then before that, I think, like I think that was kind of a hiatus. Regardless, my point, there were like the judge promos, like kind of in that stretch, like a few years ago. Like my point being, like if you want sweet basics, you just have, like you just have far too many choices now. And it doesn't really feel like there's any sort of like novelty or coolness to them anymore, mainly because it's just kind of like flavor of the month. Like when Battle for Zendikar first came out, everyone rushed to get those cards to, to like full art, full art land their deck, and then people moved on to Amica, and then like Unstable is just gonna be like the next thing. It just doesn't feel like there's any sort of uniqueness to them anymore. So, um, that being said, when Unhinged came, first came out, like 
you could get these like these lands for nothing. I remember like for the longest time, like booster boxes were a hundred dollars, and they slowly started creeping up. Once people started to realize, like, oh, these lands are rare. There's a lot of appeal to them. The fact that you can get them in foil makes them quite valuable. But now I like, like, yeah, borderless is cool, but I I just don't really see this like any more exciting, like, like in the immediate future than you know any of these other four lands. I guess I'm in a different position from Ed. I thought that the Battle for Zendikar Full Art Return would end up being worth more than they were, but that didn't quite take off. Um, part of that is I think the borders didn't look quite as good as the original Zendikar ones. Also, there were a lot out there, and a lot of people were paying attention to them. Um, also, Battle for Zendikar probably ended up way over-opened for what it was supposed to be because of like the expeditions, and people thought the set was going to be good, and it wasn't. So there was a lot going on with that set. I do think that even at the time we kind of realized they weren't that special and we kind of wondered if we'd see them again. And then we do an hour of devastation. So there's a lot of cart, you know, that, that level of land has kind of become much more available and standard now, but these are still going to be that next step like that, that really distinct, interesting looking unavailable elsewhere. And we all know that the, uh, whatever the unhinged lands unglued unhinged are still extraordinarily popular and expensive. Um, and these are going to be, I think they're not going to be like that, but I do think like their outlook a lot more than battle for Zendikar, um, lands because they're going to be in one of these weird, small print runs. People are going to crack a couple of boxes of these to draft and then not care anymore because nobody actually plays with the silver cards. So prices might be lowish at the start and you're going to have people like Jeremy and Ed and myself and others who are kind of trying to hoard these because they think that there's going to be a price increase in the future, but that's not a border I expect to see again at least anytime soon in the same way that like the full art border from battle for Zendikar, you're kind of like the way they talked about it. You thought that it might come again in the future and it did. So I, I like their outlook a little bit more than I did the BFC lands. I'm actually with Ed here. If you look at how long the unhinged lands took to creep up, like the ROI could have been better pretty much anywhere else invested. And I, I don't think like I want these. I think I'll pay like what what the big shops are paying on them and like make very small margins, but I'm not looking to hoard this. I think there's far better things in the market out there. I mean, if you go to any Grand Prix and you look at how many different floor lands or land like pimp lands people are selling, it just doesn't seem like a good investment to me. Well, I, I wouldn't um, talk about the the opportunity cost of it. And just because I think you're right. I mean, you can definitely find other products that have a better return um, on investment over time than these will. It's just a question of, will they go up some amount of money? Yes, I think they will. Um, as for like other types of cool basic lands you can own. I mean, most players don't care about like foil Russian shadow more basics. Like that's just not interesting to them. What they foil want Russian, is, you said, yeah, Why? they want something that's visually evocative right away the fine details don't matter which is why the unhinged lands were so cool just because it would they exploded from your mana base in a way that no, no other land did at the time and these are going to be in that vein so there there's more appeal in these to the casual players rather than people like us who might have like a really specific ninth edition foil copy that we want in foreign language that like no one else on the planet is trying to buy bait or bust that's gotten really popular. I mean, those lands. Why don't you buy all my lands then? Crazy popular. Why don't you buy all my lands then at uh, Indianapolis, Ed? Because I don't even bother like bringing like these basics to Grand Prix anymore. Like, 
the likelihood that like unless you literally carry like every single novel basic out there like we're talking like apac euro guru like beta unhinged unglued like you know like foil ammon cat foil hour like foil original than a car etc right like it's just not worth the effort because the likelihood that some specific person i like let me let me rephrase every grand prix there will always be some person who wants a very specific type of land but unless you can literally carry all of them to be able to sell to that person it, you're literally better off just saving your case space and not bring any at all. Like that's kind of my take on it. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, other than that, we had Hascon this week, and Ed, do you want to sort of talk about what you uh, what you actually even did up at Hascon and how your experience was? Yeah, it's really easy. I stood in line. For Can the promo, expand on that a little. <laughs> no, I like it, 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 that. Like, yeah, obviously there was a little bit more. Um, originally, I was kind of like waffling. Um, we had spent like a lot of time, like kind of working down at the new store, like trying to get construction and moving, like shelving and walls up. Um, so I wasn't sure if we were actually gonna be able to make it down. We decided Thursday we were gonna make a day trip out of it. So I went on Groupon, found the found the tickets for half off, and then just drove up Friday morning. Um, it was kind of a cluster to get in. I had someone, uh, one of my friends, he actually got the super fan pass, which gave him early access. And he said, like, the line for the exclusives was just massive. Like, he got there pretty early, but the line was rapidly filling up, and they actually knocked down uh, exclusive. I think they allowed people to buy four, and then eventually they knocked down to two. And then, as like, partway through the, the line, they actually went down to one before it actually went up to two. Uh, by the time I got in there and I kind of like walked around and looked at stuff, uh, there were actually, there's like lines forming to get into line and they actually had security come through and like, and break it up because people were starting to like block the aisles and it was just becoming a huge mess. Um, so I didn't get my exclusive right off the bat. I actually went upstairs to the ultra pro booth and, uh, waited in line for all the ultra pro play mats. So, uh, are you drinking whiskey? Scotch uh, bourbon? Yeah, it's stop you mid-sentence. Yeah, whiskey, bourbon. Okay. And uh Glenn Karen. It's uh Basil Hayden. And he can quit anytime he wants. Mm. Uh <laughs> wait, you so you stood in line for ultra pro playmats? Yeah, the ultra pro playmats were kind of like the the line wasn't as bad. Uh the first cycle through uh took me like maybe about like 20 minutes uh the problem was they limited the grimlock mat the one that everyone wanted to uh to one per transaction so yeah i either could get back in line or and buy another one but you just had to go through the line again uh i just kind of what what are those selling for uh i i got rid of mine for like a hundred or so like 80 to 80 to 100 what'd you pay for it like 40 30 was it worth it Eh, I how, mean, many, it, how many hours did you stand in the line waiting for it? I, I didn't really like I went through the first cycle to make sure that I got one. This was before they announced that uh that you could only get one Grimlock per cycle. Um so I actually left and then I came back and then I was actually able to buy two more in like five minutes or something. So and then they they probably ran out after I bought like my third mat. Um so, so I actually I actually didn't buy uh I actually didn't like stay in line that much. A lot of it was uh, like I was hanging out with the guys at Cool Stuff at Toad. They seemed to have a pretty miserable time. Uh, 
I, I don't know how much actual Iconic Masters product they bought, but um, they just seemed pretty dead when I was there on Friday. Um, and then I spent part of the time watching people open up packs of Iconic Masters. I was just kind of hovering over, over people's shoulders and, oh, let me see your rares and see like what the mythics were, what the rares were, and just kind of go down the line. So you did say, let me see your rares. Did you like jack them halfway through? <laughs> like, what? oh, yeah, that's a cool manager. And, oh, look, it's Mark Rosewater with Stan Lee. Uh, no. I saw Mark Rosewater walking around, but like I, I really did very little like actual con stuff. There was there like there actually was not that much con stuff going on, mainly because the first floor was all Hasbro, just showcasing like oh this is Transformers. Like they had like movie props, they had like a giant Optimus Prime in there. Uh, for Star Wars, they had like the like they were like previewing some stuff from the Last Jedi. Like Nerf was just like a wall of like. Nerf guns going like all the way back, like vintage Nerf guns, etc. But like other than that, just like you kind of walk around, it's like there really isn't that much to see. And then, and then you go upstairs where the magic area was, and then the, where the uh, magic vendors were. So the best part, about honestly, was probably the Dunkin' Donuts booth. Uh, you could just get like you could literally just get infinite donuts, and they walked around the cool lot of things that have way too much sugar in them. But that was Hascon. All right. Well, moving on, we, of course, always have a credit winner where we answer your question on the cast. Uh, this week's winner is Star Will Height. Feel free to contact us on Twitter or on Facebook to claim your prize. Uh, Star Will Height's question, it says, We are seeing reserveless cards get bought out all over the place, even ones that are basically garbage. There are still some that haven't been touched and can be had for quite cheap. Is it at all worth it to try to get in for cheap on some of these? Or is it just a wasted effort because the cards are so bad that no one outside of a collector trying to complete a set would actually want them? Also, any particular targets for rotation? Ed? Right. I, I forget that. I'm just like more or less like cued in for the like to be the first person to answer. Um, so the first part of your question... I think we're That's rapidly... a shame you have to pay attention now, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to respond to my infinite Facebook messages. Um, I'll, I'll actually read the question now. Uh, make sure I get this right. So the so I think the biggest problems with like the garbage ones is like you're basically hoping that scarcity is what's going to pop prop up the price, and for the most part, like if you follow like real life examples as it were like more normal things like scarcity rarely is enough to prop up like like actual like the actual price on things like just because something is rare like it's a compelling reason for it to be worth something but it's not the only reason and i think that's like what a lot of people are missing people are hoping like oh i have you know like you still have even if you have like a hundred or something you still have a truly small number of the cards in existence and the likelihood of your card going up simply because you have a hundred of them is just infinitesimal. So I think a lot of these people, they're more or less wasting money and time by doing this mainly because if the people who are looking to like complete sets, as it were, if they don't have these cards already when they were cheap, they're probably just not going to get them at all. So it's like trying to like get like, you know, $30 on a card that was $2 beforehand, probably not really gonna be worth your time considering how much money you probably had to you probably had to spend in order to get as many copies as you did. 
Um, I kind of think about rarity as a multiplier. So if there's no demand for the card in the first place, then it's not going to do anything for the price. If there's good demand it's and it's very scarce, then that multiplier will hit it really well. But if there's if there's no base demand, the rarity can't help it. Yep, yep. And I, I, I think like you need like both the mix of like actually it has to be some demand, right? Like that's why something like uh, like some of the um, the the reserve list foils, like uh, foil like Academy Rector, for example, right? Like there's probably not that many more of them. Like I would say scarcity is probably roughly equivalent to like some of these like Legends cards, Antiquities cards, kind of when like towards 95 when the print run kind of like increased, right? But there's just like astronomically more demand for a foil Kami Rector as opposed to some obscure Legends card. And that's obviously reflected in price because some of these Legends rares are like spiking as it were, right? It's still trivial and you're still going to have a much, much, much easier time selling a foil Kami Rector, mainly because like the demand for a Kami Rector is just infinitely higher, like much higher than the scale of this is the price of your random legends card versus you know this is like this price of your full academy rector so that's my take on it yeah i'm in basically the same boat you know i will make the comment that um our listener asked about uh a collector demand he said you know that there will be no demand other than people who are collectors and he kind of brushed it off like that wasn't enough which is exactly what i would have thought prior to about three weeks ago when some people started going bananas over garbage and you see people posting photos of the cards they sold. Like, look, I got $70 for, I don't know, knowledge pool, which is not worth the paper and ink it took to make that card, but somebody's clearly buying it. Um, so apparently there is some level of collector demand or at least greater fool demand um, enough to drive some sales. Uh, so I'm not even going to pretend like there's no demand for these cards because I kind of had that position in the first place and apparently it's wrong. That said, I still think it's very, very shallow. Um, and for the most part, just spraying willy nilly on reserveless cards is not likely going to, um, pay out exponentially for you. You know, if you had done this a month ago, you might've been able to get lucky and kind of ride that, um, ride that wave. But now it's probably a little late, uh, for the most part, all of the, you know, after the first week of this, people were combing the reserve list and like old school 9394 magic cards for stuff to buy out. And then it was another week and more people did it. And then another week and more people did it. So we've done enough iterations where I think a lot of that's already occurred. That said, I scooped up a pile of second chances. I think I talked about them on this cast at one point. They were also 60 cents and a card that actually does something, um, has a unique effect. Uh, but just any random reserve list card, I, I just, just stay away. It's just easier. Like, don't, don't leave yourself in the position to just waste your money on it. I think it really depends on who you're selling to. I think if you're the average person, like speculating on this stuff is a really bad idea. But at the same time, I picked up the, I picked up a mint legend set last week and it's like completely gone already. But that's only because, like, I know all the people that are looking for those cards were, like, as soon as I got them in, they had the money ready to go on a near-mint tabernacle. And, like, there's not that many people that are like that out there. So, in my opinion, I would stay away from the garbage reserve list cards. 
Um, and then to answer your second part, since there is a second part of this question, I'm targeting all the Ojirazi that see play in the worst format ever, known as modern, uh, Thought Not, Reality Smasher, uh, Eldrazi Mimics, like a bulk right now. Like, why not? That's no downside, in my opinion. Um, I'm targeting stuff like Arlen Cord because it's a flip planeswalker. I'm targeting things like Collective Brutality because it sees Eternal play. Uh, Spellcrawler is another one that we're selling a lot of for modern players that people seem to like. Um, just trying to think of anything else. Archangel Avison might have casual appeal if that goes down to a couple bucks. Like, why not? At least for me, because that's like my the casual angel crowd is like where I'm making my money. Uh, that might not work out for whoever's uh, looking elsewhere. And Liliana, the Last Hope has uh, proven herself in modern. So that's another one where if it drops at all at rotation, I'd look into trading for those, not necessarily spending money on it. Anything I missed, Ed? Did I miss anything, Ed? Since sorry, you decided uh, to I, mute yourself. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I think I, I like the Eldrazi. I think it's kind of proven like the Eldrazi are pretty like eternal cards. Like, uh, like the Eldrazi deck has kind of fallen out of flavor in the Legacy a little bit, but it's been proven like you know, like the like having Ancient Tomb, City Traders, I Ugin, all that together is a pretty busted combination. Um, I think last year there was actually a person that uh, won the uh, the budget list in uh, Vintage at uh, the at Eternal Weekend. They actually top aided, and they actually it was an Odrazi based list as well. Um, so I think like you know they're just it's just so cheap. Like it's hard to imagine like a world where like Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher, uh, Mary Shaper, like these cards don't see play. They're just like so powerful. They're so undercosted. And while I, it's probably unlikely they're ever going to get better than they are, mainly because if we ever see like another like Eldrazi type format, like when they come back and deal with Emrakul in like who knows how many years, it's unlikely that they'll make it better, mainly because I would hope that they learn from their mistake with like the Eye of Ugin interaction with like, you know, Eldrazi cost like three to four mana. Um, I but I think they'll just always be good. Like Thoughtos here is just like a very very busted card. Reality Smasher is just very annoying to deal with. Um, those are like kind of good targets. Uh, I don't really want to like say other ones because I actually need a pick of the week that I'm kind of like looking through to find right now. So hopefully Travis will take over and give his insight here. Uh, well, I don't want to blow up Ed's spot here. <laughs> uh, I would generally be in the same position that uh, the Eldrazi are probably your best bet. Let's just go with that. You, if you listen to MTG Fast Finance, you've heard my opinions on Eldrazi plenty of times. So I like them. They're the only thing I really care about at rotation, though. I think I think specking on cards at rotation in general seems to not be nearly as interesting or profitable as it used to be. I haven't really done that in quite some time now. It just hasn't seemed as compelling as it used to be, maybe because the supply is so much higher relative to the player base, it feels like. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point you bring up. Uh, thank you for the question. If any of you guys want to win a $25 gift certificate to Cool Stuff Inc., please leave a question on Gathering Magic's latest Cartel Aristocrats, which will be coming out on September 12th. Um, leave us a question there. Please don't ask anything stupid. And if we pick your question to read on the cast, we will get in touch and to give you a free gift card. Um, so we really appreciate your support. I do know that some cartel fans said hi to Ed at, uh, uh, Hascon. And I know he loves that. So 
If you see Ed at any place, say hi. He's a cheerful guy. I got to sign a play bat. I'm famous. Two years later, Ed has finally signed a play mat. It is his dream complete. I mean, you know, I, I have never in Vegas too. <laughs> I have never signed one, and I think I'm okay with that. Really? Wow. <laughs> I don't you have come a, off as a curmudgeon on Twitter. Because I don't. I get asked a lot. You just keep telling people that you uh, you cultivate your own little cult of personality there in a way that I do not. I'm I'm not in this for the the ego like some of our other members hey now i'm just basically a banana because people find me appealing i was actually kidding the only reason i do this is for my ego ouch and those sweet sweet views all right moving on uh so we've talked about the reserve list today we've talked about standard we've talked about all these new products coming out we've talked about commander on basically every cast that um we've we've listened to i guess you want to say like in the last month we have non-stop talked about commander 2017 well there's a restock coming finally uh the restock we got last week was one of each whole deck so uh thanks for uh hooking us up distributors slash wizards uh not really with uh with all these new decks on the way in like a month or so maybe two months do you guys see any expensive commander cards like Teferi's Protection falling back down? Or do you think that there's just not going to be enough copies out there for prices to really do anything? Bad. Uh, uh, okay. I, I, all right. I have no information on how big the resupply is going to be. It seems, based on what I've seen from vendor inventory online, is that there are very few sellers, but the sellers exist, have relatively deep pockets. What that tells me is that if you were a smaller vendor, you didn't get very many at all, and you were just selling them locally. And a couple guys were able to score a lot of them and put them online. But in general, it doesn't seem widespread enough where a lot of people have a lot of product that they're listing. It's only a handful of stores. Um, at least per the singles. So I would imagine that the second wave probably wouldn't even be as big as the first wave, and you would see some temporary um, suppression of prices in the sense that like cards couldn't won't jump quite as hard as you might think they will, or you they could, like Kindred Discovery. But at the same time, I think nine months from now, the second wave is not going to have mattered that much. Like you're not going to see prices crater, I don't think. But again, that's with no information about how many are actually coming. I don't think they'll necessarily like crater, but I don't think like they'll see like a huge spike unless like like the last time like the like kind of the most noble example of like a commander card just going crazy was like true name nemesis, and I think like wizards is then like pretty cognizant of oh we probably should not print like a a legacy staple. Like that's meant to be played every legacy deck in a one as a one of in a commander like sub, supplemental product. So that being said, like to finish protection, I see there's like a lot of like appeal to it. Um, it's a pretty sweet, unique white card. Um, but like that alone is isn't enough to make like the vampires deck monstrously expensive. It's pretty expensive. It's sec- it's the second most expensive deck. It's still less than dragons. But dragons just has more demand because dragons. Um, so in terms of like single prices, I imagine like we'll kind of see like 
prices creep down a little bit, but I do imagine like there's going to be enough demand on the product itself that we'll actually see a pretty sharp rise in the sealed product probably in a few months or so, probably like six months out, depending on how much commander they, how much more commander they print. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good, good answers, guys. Um, that's why we have you guys on is for that sweet, sweet uh, commander information. Since you guys both love that format so much, now that we've got a commanding lead on this podcast, there's a couple of other things that we do need to talk about. Um, what do you think the best way for an M- a savvy MTG financier? to not run out of money because we've talked about this where people buy a huge collection and then another collection walks in the next day and they haven't managed their capital inventory or like their capital flow. Well, uh, especially for someone like Travis who has a budget when it comes to finance specs, most of the time I would, I would guess. What do you think the best way survival wise plan is for the next four months on how not to run out of money buying and selling magic cards? Is there anything that like, if you see something and you're just like, this is too good to be true or like, is, is there no more free money or arbitrage out there anymore? Or like if a certain vendor overseas has like a million Kalias in stock, or if they're going to have like a million Avicens in stock for nothing, do you think that people are going to go too deep on this stuff later in the year and that they're not managing their money? Well, basically what I'm saying is, is it better to be speculating in the next four months or is it better to just try and focus on local collection flips? So if you're, if you're really that savvy, I would recommend the quite lower. The very first step is to just pull away magic cards and like learn to play poker for a little bit, mainly because I think one of the most absolute important skills in poker that people don't talk about often enough, but the people who are actually good at poker do very well is manager bankroll. Like, it and a lot of, like there's just you draw a lot of analogies right like your average person that you can grind like you can grind like small cash game like 50 cent dollar like one two like no limit or whatever right but you have to be able to play just proportionally to how much money you can buy in for right like you the last thing you need to do is just like i i think like you see more people busting is when people try and go from like one two they think oh i'm a hot shot i like i'm making my decent speed I want to make more money. What do people do? They go from one, two to two, five. And then they just have like one bad beat. And then basically like works up, like, like all the profit they've worked up for, like over like, a, like however long they've been playing, they basically just have a bad beat and they just like blow it all. And they're basically back to where they started. And I imagine like a lot of the people who are looking to start up in finance, like an MTG finance, probably in a similar boat. Like I'm assuming that you're not just sitting on like, like reserveless cards or cards that have gone up over time because you bought in like 20 years ago or whatever, you're probably the type of person that has picked up magic more recently and you're looking for a way to kind of supplement your hobby and make it more affordable. So if you're looking to get into like collection buying or just starting to turn over cards, just keep it small. Like sure. Sometimes you'll just get like the absolute like insane collection that you'll spend all your money on. But there's going to be more insane collections out there. There'll be there are always people who need money. There's always opportunity for you to buy cards. You just have to be able to just budget it correctly. You want to make sure that you're not overpaying. You have to be comfortable saying no. It's like the, you're you're just wanting to make cards. I'll pass. I'll try and find a better deal elsewhere. Um, but like like managing your bankroll, like that's just such a big part of this, and that's not that that's that's a skill that that you can basically translate to doing anything in life. Like like 
if you're like just concerned about your finance personally, if you want to open up a small business or if you want to do any sort of like investing, like do like just managing your bankroll. Like I, I just can't emphasize like how important that is. Um, and I just don't think like a lot of people in MTG finance just, I, I just don't think they do it very well at all. Uh, so there's a good bit here, a good bit of stuff here, uh, you know, add comments about managing your bankroll, which is completely correct. I would guess that for most novices in this industry, that's not too much of a concern. Let me, let me phrase this correctly. You probably don't have to worry about blowing all of your cash on a collection that walks through the door because you are unlikely to find a collection like that. Like that's not what's going to get you. Um, most people aren't like, I'm going to get into MTG finance and then find a $7,000 collection on Craigslist and then buy it all. And then like, can't make rent. Um, you know, that happens to Jeremy when he gets near mint sets of legends that walk hold through. Up, hold it up. Hold it up. I pay my three, rent. How dare you? No, 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 no. How dare you say I don't pay my rent, mister? I'm referring more to blowing all of your liquid capital on collections rather than not paying your rent. I know that your rent gets paid. You have your parents. What I mean is that it's really easy to get blown out. <laughs> really easy uh it, it, it's really easy for vendors to over to overextend on buying collections it's gonna it's much less likely for people like me and probably people like you where you are going to get burned is you're you know there's uh, the old expression your eyes are bigger than your stomach uh which refers to you ordering more food than you can eat it's the same concept it is really easy to go oh wow you know travis talked about um second chance on cartel aristocrats so i'm gonna buy uh, 75 of those. And boy, Travis talked about, you know, whatever card it was, uh, Sam had tested on fast finance. So I'm going to go buy 30 of those. And Travis talked about this great card in his article. So I'm going to go buy a bunch of those. And I guess other people wrote about cards. So I'll buy some of those too. And everything looks good. And you end up buying like $400, $500, whatever amount of cards. And then you have to sell this stuff. And like maybe some of it had a weight baked into it, like those second chances. I'm not selling those this year or next year, whenever. So like, and I've run into this myself where suddenly you're like, oh shit, I have like a lot of value in cards coming in and they're not going out that fast and I'm just stuck. And I've had to pass up on specs before because it wasn't the most responsible thing to do to put more cash on the table for more cards because I still had too much tied up. Um, so that's where you're going to catch yourself. So your best bet here, I think, is to give yourself a very hard ceiling for how much you're willing to spend and how much you're essentially willing to have floating at any given time. So you might say, all right, I have $100 that I'm willing to put into, into magic finance. Um, and once you've got $100 in cardboard on your table, stop. Don't buy more cards. Wait until you sell through those before you start buying more stuff. And it's going to be painful because you're going to see stuff out there and you're like, I should buy those because they're going to go up in price. And you know what? Maybe they will. But you also know what? There will always be another card to spec on. So the uh, discipline to not go shop happy early on uh, is going to be very important. That's how you don't over leverage. And another thing is like, just because it's a good deal, that doesn't mean you have to buy it. Mainly because not like when it ultimately like push comes to shove, you're not gonna be able to sell everything you buy. That's just, that's just like, that's just like the number one rule of retail. It doesn't matter if you, it doesn't matter like how much money you spend, like how much how much you think like you're like how cheap you can sell something. Just because something is cheap and you got a good deal doesn't mean you're gonna sell. Like I could just look at my desk and just look at like some like train wrecks I have. Like 
Like I like I was I posted this on uh, <laughs> on our group chat a little while ago. This is an, a heavily played uh, Italian flusterstorm. Like I had no chance of getting this rid of this before, um, and like I literally have no chance of getting rid of it now. Uh, another example, like it is this foil Japanese Garrick Apex Predator for twenty. This card is like thirty dollars on TCG Player. You I'll buy, buy this after the cast. By the way. It's like not a good option, but I'm totally in for that. Okay, well, it was they, sorry, listeners. It was Portuguese, not Italian. Okay, Portuguese, yeah, sure. Uh, well, okay, I guess this. Tormenta Azoradora. Tormenta Azoradora. Okay. Uh, well, maybe I can convince <laughs> Travis. Maybe I can convince Jeremy to buy this too. But like, I got these brainstorms for super cheap. Like, this is not that much higher than English brainstorms. These have been sitting here forever, mainly because the demand for these cards basically zero. A lot of people who want to pimp out their legacy decks or whatever, they just want the original foil Mercadian mass ones. So I got a great deal on this. If this ever sells, I'm I'm probably making like close to hundred percent on this. But the like this is just never gonna sell. This is probably just gonna sit on my desk and I'm gonna a hundred percent. What is this, amateur hour? <laughs> I, I actually don't even know why I paid on these, like but maybe maybe I paid more than that. I I can't remember. Yeah. But like, but the original point stands, right? Like, just because you got good deals on things, you don't have to snap it out because there will be another opportunity out there. You will find another good deal. You don't have to just buy the first thing that comes up to you. I, honestly, at this point in time, I think that that might be the single best piece of advice that I can still pinpoint that I have gotten about this, and that I hope that other people recognize. Complete uh, your shorts. Yes, that and there will always be another card around the corner. Don't feel like you have to buy this one. Especially if like there's no demand for it. Like say, for example, you buy like a Russian Vendalian click and you've been trying to sell it for like, I don't know, four months. And like uh, no one makes an offer on it and you've been trying to sell it to this one guy forever. And then you fall asleep and he messages you that he wants to buy it, but you don't wake up until the next day. And because of that, you miss out on a sale. Like that's like the worst feeling possible. And so you really have to be careful with what you're buying and how big the market is. That's what I would leave you guys with. Yeah, I got, I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I got, apparently I'm, I'm supposed to just like wait for Jeremy until Jeremy falls asleep so I can sleep and then like wake up like a few hours later just so I don't miss any sales from Jeremy. I, that, 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 apparently that, that, that's Jeremy's lesson this, that, that's his MTG finance tip actually I think there is a finance tip from this I always 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 upsell people on impulse buys and if you're selling through Facebook or if you're selling locally and there's another card in your binder that you think goes well with whatever they're buying you can either message them or talk to them and be like hey I'll throw this in for whatever and that's more money in your pocket and a lot of times they'll just say yeah no big deal throw it in and I, it's it's led to so much extra money on Facebook sales as well as just like face to face sales. Jeremy's a predator. I don't think upselling is being a predator. I think it's taking advantage of human weaknesses. <laughs> what? It's not upselling. You're just taking advantage of people. <laughs> I mean, how else am I supposed to afford my uh, my caviar that I eat on top of my reserve list uh, buyouts and all this you other know, stuff that all these financiers do? Can I just tell you guys that I went to our local gourmet grocery store looking for salmon and or looking for caviar and they had like salmon roe 
and like, I, I don't know, whatever the other haddock row or something. I'm like, what is this garbage? Like you're, there's only one type of fish egg for caviar you're supposed to use. And they had like one jar of it. And it was, I'm like, what, well, this is wasting my time. Like, is this really that hard to find that you can't go into a gourmet grocery store and get it? I mean, you know, they're going to charge an arm and a leg. Ed, what's your experience? I know you've bought it a lot. Caviar? I assume as much. Uh, I mean, I've had caviar. I don't, uh, there's actually, uh, that seafood place inside, uh, JFK that you can actually get like real caviar, like, like, cause they have a full range of it. Uh, I don't care for it. Um, I don't care for like roe either. I think just like the salty briny taste is like a bit much. So not, not really my cup of tea when it comes to fine dining. Really? You know, I had never had it before. And then when we were in Vegas, we got dinner and they gave you a little caviar taco and it was phenomenal i didn't know i had no idea if i was gonna like it then i tried it. i was like yep and i like it it's terribly expensive but it was very good can i just say that if you are going to get caviar i would recommend royal etcetera uh that is that is the gold standard so to all our listeners who and that's like also caviar, what you will pay for in <laughs> yeah that that's uh that's a good caviar well I hope you guys have enjoyed the banter. Travis basically roasted me so hard. I feel like a peanut now. Um, Let's move into pick of the week, which is of course, everybody's favorite. And as usual, Ed is maybe prepared for this. So let's move into pick of the week. Ed, what do you have? Heart of Kieran. Heart of Kieran. It's, it's like a $5. Now I looked it up. Like I know it's like steadily dropping. I, what what Uh, did I pick this last? (laughs) I'm pretty sure last time Travis just like stole my pick. <laughs> no, that was at Jim, wasn't it? I don't think it was me. I'm pretty sure someone stole my pick. So the one time Ed shows it prepared, he picks a card that he picked last week. Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I picked like invocation last week. So, but I, I think like the reason behind a hard, hard cure and like if people are gonna be trying to play like dinosaurs and like these overcosting cards, right? Like how in the world are they ever going to beat like a two mana four four? Um, like Marty vehicles survives rotation relatively intact. Like, like losing Therabin Spectre is actually a pretty big deal. But like, so like some things will have to change slightly. Like you might have to start playing like Inventors and Prentice. But I think like the majority of the deck, like just like evasive creatures, like with Aether's Your Harvester or Heart of Kieran, like playing one man three twos, like it's still very good. Um, if you don't already own them, like I would say like go buy at least a set in case like you ever want to play them. And then if you're like willing to drop like, you know, a hundred dollars, you can buy 20 of them. Cause I imagine that if it does see playing standard, it's certainly going to be as a four of like, it's like basically almost as ubiquitous as uh, like smugglers copter. And I think like towards the beginning, I remember when Aether Vault first came out, I think at the pro tour when Marty vehicles was kind of like starting to take off, like some like people made comments like, oh, I only played like three Heart of Kieran's in my deck, and that was probably like the one of the worst deck building errors I've ever made. The, the card is just so powerful, and based on just like how much removal, like you you obviously you have like a braid and whatnot in the format, but just like just Heart of Kieran, it just always seems like you want your starter. Uh, like at some point, it'll trade off with the creature, it'll get destroyed, and you just want to be able to just keep drawing them. The card the card is just so good. Like losing Gideon sucks. But like there, 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 there'll be other options. So buy your hard cairns, five dollars. You can't lose. Yeah, thanks, Ed. We really appreciate the same advice you've used when you've picked it before. Travis, what do you have? 
Uh, I especially like that Ed's like, no, last week I was preparing for a pick that I didn't pick the week prior, and it's only because he picked it and then went and bought them out so that it looked like he was right. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, the cool thing about Cartel is that we always get on Reddit when Ed names a card and it spikes because Ed is clearly the one manipulating all these invocation buyouts. Travis? Uh, I'm going to go uh, I'm gonna go with, um, in the Eldrazi vein, uh, Gemstone Caverns which is currently like seven or eight bucks. Uh, and I noticed that I made the mistake of reading Corbin's article over on TCG player today. And he played a serum visions, uh, Eldrazi deck. And the way it works is you have serum visions, gemstone cavern, serum visions, gemstone cavern, and, uh, endless scourge and Simeon spirit guide. So what you can do is if you're on the, draw you have gen gemstone caverns to get that in and then catch up and then like play a, a land and chalice on your turn one there and all sorts of stuff like that um and serum serum powder also lets you exile like the uh, eternal scourges which you can then recast from exile and they're still drowsy um same with the gemstone cavern lets you exile the uh the eternal scourge because you have to exile a card when you put it into play like for free um, but then you cast it. So like Eternal Scourge basically works really well with Serum, Serum Powder and Gemstone Caverns. My original pick was Serum Powder, and then I found out today that it was reprinted in Inter uh, Iconic Masters. So don't buy Serum Powder, but that just leaves Gemstone Cavern as the next choice. So supply is not deep. They're like seven or eight bucks, so they're a little pricey, but it's a cool piece of tack. The card has been probably a little underpriced and a little underplayed for a while, um, and now there's just more tools for it. So I, I think it's a, an interesting choice. And that is a card that actually sees play in Legacy, and the card price keeps creeping up a little bit. I actually really like that one, Travis. Um, my pick OD week. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to go with. Man, who's unprepared now? Yeah. Well, there's like three cards that we sold out of today. And one of them was already Doug's pick. I'll just say Lightning Greaves would have been my pick because Doug is dead on. I bought a stack of 100, and we have like 20 left after three days. So I, I, I think I take issue with this. And, for this. and I made the comment to Doug on Twitter too, I think. like I think that that was a completely correct pick for Doug and for you. But for people without a case, you can't make money on that. Like I, can't, I, I just like, think it goes back up to four. I mean, that's fine, but like, what did I buy in at? For $4, I would have to buy them at a quarter a piece to make it worth my time. And that's not happening. So like, I know okay. you guys are getting them for like $1.50 and then selling them for four or five in the case with no overhead. And it's really quick and that's great. But I'm telling you, if you're doing this from your living room, don't buy Lightning Greaves. Like there's so many cards in that $1 to $3 range that you're like, this is going to double. I know it's going to double. It's absolutely going to double and it's still not worth your time to buy it. We have unlocked mean Travis. I'm not being mean. I'm just I'm pointing out that certain specs are better for different vendors. No, Travis, Ed and I are the only right people here. Clearly, there are not different types of people in this industry that can make money different ways. Uh, we all know you're to the right, Jeremy. Oh, oh, that was actually a good one. I, I think uh, the biggest Ed? thing about it is like a lot of like commander players, like when they buy the deck, they want to make modifications. Like it's you're probably gonna be hard pressed to find like extra soul rings in people's binders, but like if you go through binders, like there's no shortage of like these cheap casual cards that you can trade for. That like depending on like some buy list, there are some vendors that pay very very well on uh, on casual cards. Like I know for the longest time, 
uh, MTG deals are paying a dollar seventy five on Soul Ring. I, maybe it was a dollar fifty. It's two now. Okay, it, it's two now. And this was and this was like a this was at a time when Soul Rings were on TCG Player for like two dollars and twenty five cents. And like if you're bringing if you're gonna bring in like a large stack, like you might be able to get like a like a very reasonable deal on them. So. Just being able to trade them, they're just so liquid. Like a lot of vendors, the better vendors, they'll pay very well on them. If you're gonna listen through TCG player, I think like those are types of cards that, that that's probably gonna like sting the most. So um a lot of those cards, like you could just take straight to a buy list and just get like probably like 80, 90% TCG, depending on the card. Yeah, good point. I'm gonna go with Coat of Arms for this week. It just got reprinted again, but I think it'll just shrug off this reprint and go right back up like it has before. Uh, these cards sell well on TCG, they sell well in the shop, and there's always casual demand for stuff like this. So I think this gains like 30%, which, like Travis said, is not enough if you're buying in with cash, but it's a good trade-in target and then trading out. Bit of a reach, don't you think? No. I mean, it's a card that's been proven to go up before. Oh, was there a pun there? Yeah. <laughs> You got to do it so okay, subtle right? enough. It, you know, the best ones are the ones that people don't realize that you do. We can't be you, Jeremy. Uh, we literally just can't use the word in a sentence and call it a pun. Yeah. So I was actually having to try and be clever. The more blunt way to do that would have been to make a comment about keeping it at arm's length. That was a good one. I would have gotten that one. Oh, that's why I didn't use it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that's it for Cartel Aristocrats number 70. Where can people go ahead and find you guys? Or block you guys, depending. Uh, at Edwin13 on Twitter. I'm with Corbin's Game Store. I will be on vacation this week. Like, actual, legitimate vacation. Which is different I, from the vacation that our listeners heard you take, like, three weeks ago. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, They're all is, the same vacation. Yeah, this is, like, a vacation vacation like with parents and, like, sightseeing and museums. I think I'm going to museums. So, uh, shout out, shout out this weekend at Hascon to Papu and Oberon. It's cool to meet you guys in person. Always like meeting uh, our listeners. Pretty interesting to see like the different approaches people have to doing MTG finance, what they do for us. So, thank you for listening. It's cool to meet you guys. Shout out to you guys. Yeah, Ober, our uh, Papu is the guy that runs the the spreadsheet, right? He used to. He got picked up by Quiet Speculation. Sound familiar? <laughs> so does does nobody update that thing anymore? No, we have two new listeners that update it. Uh, at the only nom updates it, and then there's another guy who's going to crucify me because I just forgot his Twitter handle. I see. Well, they're doing God's work, um, but still, Papu seemed like a nice guy even before he sold out. Uh, I'm Travis Allen. You can find me at Twitter Wizard Bumpin Bumpin on Twitter. I write every Monday on MTG Price. Uh, I also do the Fast Finance podcast. And if you like playing Magic, check out Scry.Land. I think that's all of them. And I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MazuraMTG. We are going to try to get Travis on an after hours this week, hopefully. They have been very fruitful for listeners that have enjoyed them. That will be on our SoundCloud feed because it is definitely not safe for work following the last after hours with JR, which was by itself an interesting experience on its own. I don't know if Travis listened to that, but that was uh, that was a podcast. I didn't, but I know JR, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll try to get Travis on so he can explain his politically charged views that we won't talk about on this podcast. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to win credit, leave a comment on Gathering Magic's newest article coming out on September 12th. 
You can find us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can find us on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance. And as always, you can find us in your wallet as it grows bigger each week. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and see you next time.